The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. We are on the eve of Wimbledon, basically, at this point. It all gets underway uh, at the weekend and into next week. Jenny Claffey, uh, ex-tennis pro and tennis coach, is with us in studio. Jenny, how are you getting on? Not too bad. Thanks for having me in here today. It's great to be here. This is the time of the year where people, I guess, even kids are off school, they're watching Wimbledon, they're like, I want to play tennis. And I presume your own industry just goes to a whole other level over the next little while. Yeah, this is the time where you see people out on the streets nearly with their tennis rackets playing tennis. But uh, if I know a lot of people who say, oh, those two weeks of Wimbledon, that's when I used to play tennis. Mm. And now they're coming back to tennis and going, I want to actually learn how to play. So yeah, this time is really the busy period. What is the uh, tennis coaching industry like at the moment? I think since since COVID, it has hit an all level. Like it's so high. There's so many people playing tennis. Obviously, there was a time there where golf and tennis were the only sports that you could play. Yeah. So uh, say, for example, in the club that I'm in, we went from 250 members to 900. So right. there's been a huge increase in, in people participating in tennis, which is great. And has that maintained its way through to, I guess, the posts? Yeah. Times, yeah. 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 And a lot of the clubs around Dublin are at their full capacity. So they're not there. There's waiting lists to get in. Right. Okay. Yeah. When you were starting off, was it also a similar situation for you that Wimbledon was on television and it was it kind of increased the incentive a little bit or it didn't really matter what time of the year it was, you just wanted to be out there playing? Well, for me, it was I always wanted to be at the top of the game, be a yeah. professional tennis player, but Wimbledon was always the goal. Do you know, I had this poster in my bedroom, I, I wrote myself, I was like, Wimbledon is my dream, I'll play it soon and win it. And I had that all through my childhood up on, as a poster on the wall. Uh, so Wimbledon was the most prestigious and the one that I think I wanted to win the most. I guess just the fact that it was like beamed into Irish living rooms every single summer, the, the, the idea that you can actually see your dream on TV every single year is the, the sort of incentive. So, so what other things in, informed us for you throughout throughout the rest of the year like I know obviously your, your mother was a tennis player as well so I, I presume that helps when it comes to having this visualisation of, of what I want to do Yeah well I think I, I grew up with four older brothers and my mum was a tennis coach so I think the incentive was there from early on that I wanted to be better than the boys and I think maybe from about seven onwards I thought okay I want to be a professional tennis player I think it was helped by the fact that my mum was a coach and then she, she was able to provide lots of opportunities for me that maybe others mightn't have had if they didn't have a parent involved in the sport and um, so I think from, as I said, seven, it was the dream was to get to Wimbledon. Like I wanted to be professional tennis player and that was the pinnacle of, of what I wanted to achieve. Was the sense when you were a kid that this was possible, that like that there was no obstacles in the way, that this is very much, even as a as an Irish young tennis player, that this is very much an achievable goal? Yeah, well, I didn't see any obstacles being an issue at all. I just For me, it was like, I'm going to get there. So I was yeah. so driven myself that I thought, OK, I can get there no matter what it takes. Didn't see the obstacles for what they were. For people who don't realise, what what, ha- what happens throughout your, your childhood and, and your rise towards uh, tennis professionalism at some point? Because it's, it's a pretty bumpy road, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it's definitely not straightforward. In, in any sport, success is not in straight lines. But for tennis, to try to be a tennis professional in Ireland, it's very difficult um, because we're an island. So if you want to go and travel uh, to play internationally, you have to travel. So you always have to take a flight, which is more costly. Um, it's always going to be take a little bit more effort. You've, you're at a disadvantage in one way because in a lot of the tournaments across Europe and internationally, if you're a home nation, so the tournament's on in Ireland, let's say, you're more likely 
likely to get a wild card and get into like a main draw. So your opportunities are are there. Whereas coming from Ireland, we don't have we had no opportunities going into tournament sports. You were almost always at a disadvantage. But um, being in our being in Ireland, trying to be professional, big problem I faced as a kid was um, the 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 amount of players that we had here playing and who wanted to be professional it just wasn't there and um, there was other kids playing but they weren't necessarily pushing on in tennis they were playing so many other sports um, and then the facilities obviously we were in Ireland and we had no indoor facilities they were only really coming into the form at that stage when I was a kid and um, now there's you see more coming up around the country but not a, enough um, so facilities the, the surface was an issue um, and then competition there wasn't enough competition here um, but I, I, as I got into my teens I started to travel and and was travelling around the world then playing and competing. Where would you have to go to get good competition? Europe was probably where I went. So from uh, the age of 11, I started to travel internationally. So I was travelling alone at times, oh, with a coach, I mean, but without your, my parents, which was obviously difficult at, at 11 years old. But um, the first tournament I played internationally was 11 in Italy. We were away for two weeks. That was like an eye-opener. In what way? Well, first it gave me a taste of what it what it meant to be to be playing and be travelling and what it was like to be a, a, an athlete, you know, at 11 years old and, and a professional tennis player. That's what it felt like to me. Is this was like a big stage. There was people watching, you know. I had Ireland written on the back of my t- T-shirt. Like, right. I felt so proud. This is amazing. And that really gave me a big taste of, of, okay, I want this and gave me the fire in the belly. You're representing your country now. Yeah, that meant that was, that's a big deal. That's incredible. So when you talk about the lack of competition potentially within Ireland, the lack of facilities. Is it a sense that even as an 11-year-old, you're going abroad and you don't know if, if I'm ready for this until you actually get there? Yeah, you don't know what you're going to face. You can only presume that they're going to be these incredible tennis players. Obviously, if they're playing for their countries, they're going to be amazing. And they were. I remember being completely blown away by the competition when, when I, I was playing, like how good everybody was. Whereas in Ireland, if you're at the top, you know, there might be maybe four to six players who are really good there wasn't this huge depth of players whereas over there there was just so many good players everyone was amazing how did he match up um on my first experience uh, yeah we were we didn't win let's just say that right. <laughs> um but i mean no we we, we definitely weren't at the top we didn't end okay. up at the top of the pool but uh it was great to get that experience and see what it was like out there and see what the competition is like and as i said i took that home with me and was like okay this is it i can do this right that's what i was just about to ask so like you see that experience you go you go through that abroad and you actually get home and that wimbledon poster becomes more of a reality after your experience yeah yeah. It becomes more, the, the, the dream is kind of more realistic at this point. So what, what happens after that and, and how do you go about building from, from that first experience? So as I said, I was 11 when I went there. So I remember coming back and, and saying it to my mum that like, yeah, I really want to do this. You know, I want to I want to be a professional. And then from there, she and my dad, and my family, they, they provided every opportunity possible for me to then try and go on and follow this dream of mine. Um, <clears throat> when I was in fourth year in school, so I was 15, I took the year off and moved to Spain to go to tennis academy. Right. So that was kind of the big biggest move I made before that in those years between 11 and 15 I was training full time you know before school after school and um, traveling a little bit internationally but at 15 I up and left and moved to Spain to go to an academy um, and then I was right amongst then all the other players of my age and a little bit older and I was really being exposed to what it's like to be a pro then at that stage so I lived there um, for four months and was staying with a family over there and that was a big shock to the system do you know but it was all in pursuit of this dream this big goal of mine to be a professional tennis player so it didn't matter what kind of heartache I was suffering or homesickness that I had I wanted to get 
to Wimbledon I decided Wimbledon was the, the dream I hate to be unbelievably cliche here but um, Agassiz's book is obviously something that a lot of people use as a, as a <laughs> touch point on, on tennis which is some of the things you said there you know like even in his book about you know the fact that his, his dad would drive him everywhere to, to tournaments obviously being on an island is, is a big impact on, on your career as a, as a young Irish tennis player but also as you mentioned there the fact of going to a tennis academy like in his book he details how he absolutely hated the, the tennis academy he was sent to because it kind of just felt like this very regimented training camp all the time was that your experience as well is that what tennis training camps are well I guess like tennis is like it's not a monotonous sport as such but I mean it's repetition there's so much repetition involved you go to these academies and you are churning in day in day out and you're just hitting as many tennis balls every day and it was almost the same thing every day but I knew that that's what I needed I wasn't getting that at home yeah. so I relished it and loved it and had this amazing opportunity to play against different players and people from different places like to me that was amazing Do you know I thought this was oh my god this is where I want to be you know and how can I get better and how can I be better than these people and what's next for me so I was always looking ahead I was never kind of caught in that moment of like oh this is boring or you know but this is what it's going to take Jenny, like, like, fascinating to hear you talk there about the the joy at you know representing your country and wearing that Irish vest. Like, just wondering, like, and I, I know you've been coaching now for for what thirteen or so years uh, since your retirement. But like, how how does that compare? That feeling of 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 you know playing in a, in a big tournament during your career versus now seeing maybe the look on on, on a kid's face or or a teenager's face who you know, you know something a small scale in the game suddenly clicks. Like, how does that feeling you know from from competing to coaching kind of compare? Yeah, it's, it's a very different experience, definitely. Like it's, in coaching, it's very rewarding. Whereas when I was playing um, competitively and going out to play matches, there was always this sense of enjoy this moment because this may never happen again. Do you know, like go out there, those feelings that the, the in your belly that you get, the nerves, that feeling, you can never replicate that in your life ever. Nothing compares to that since being re- retiring. Um, I don't think I could ever emulate that feeling of nerves and okay, this is all on you. Go out there, do what you can do. But now, when I compare that to coaching is that it's it's a little bit different you don't get the fire in the belly but you get a rewarding sense that you're helping people and maybe potentially helping them grow their dream into being tennis players like when you th- when you think about retiring in 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 your mid-20s and we've had different panels on, on off the wall over the years of you know sports people talking about early retirement and trying to deal with the, with this this idea that that you know that the career that they had built out for themselves in their head was suddenly cut short uh, and injury enforced like how do you feel about that now? I know sports psychology is is a, is a massive thing now, and, and players are are looked after and kind of guided in terms of what comes next. But that must have been quite a difficult uh, period for you. Yeah, that was a huge, huge um, disappointment. Uh, obviously, it was my career was only starting to to build, and I was having success and starting to win and getting the recognition, and things were going really, really well. And then it was just cut short pretty much overnight um, I had a, a huge identity crisis when this happened so you know I had always been Jenny the tennis player and I was t- Wimbledon was going to be the dream that's where I was going I was so close I felt like I was so close to achieving that and then overnight this was taken away from you so yeah it was like who am I without tennis um, I really struggled with that at the time but as you mentioned there's sports psychology I had a great uh, sports psychologist at the time and was working with him and um, while I was playing uh, because I realised also while I was competing that there's nothing separating me to any other player except what happens between your two ears. That was the biggest difference. So I, I hired a sports psychologist because I really found that that was going to make the difference. And it did at the time. And that really got me through then um, the retirement phase. But um, after I retired from tennis, I, I was thinking there's no way I could give up on sport just like this. So I actually, in 2018, joined the um, Irish Rugby Sevens setup and thought, all oh, right, well, if I can't get the Olympics with tennis, maybe 
maybe I'll get there with the sevens. So I gave that a go. But uh, unfortunately, injury cut that one short as well. I, I only lasted six months with six bone breaks. So uh, that was all too quick as well. But uh, as you mentioned, yeah, it was a big struggle, like the, those transitional periods um, from being an athlete to being Jenny Claffey without tennis. And like, in, even in terms of an individual, individu- like an individual sport versus a team sport, you see people retire from from team sports, and I guess they miss that that added atmosphere and and camaraderie from from their teammates as well. But how, how is it in an individual sport? Because you know, for boxers or for for Formula One drivers or for snooker players that retire, uh, and tennis players as well, it, it must be quite uh, quite surreal because you've been you know there by yourself and you're there with your coach growing up but uh, all of a sudden it's just it's just you in the big bad world again yeah because um, I as an individual athlete you have a team around you so obviously I had like two tennis coaches I had um, a sports psychologist I had a fitness trainer and um, I had a really great close-knit um, support group around me and then overnight as well that was just gone Do you know they were there every day checking in how are you doing you know what not and giving me the brief etc like what we're going to be doing every day and then just like that they're gone as well and now I don't mean they just dump me like like that but as in you get used to having that support network around you all the time so that was also a struggle as well not having those people around you because obviously they had to move on and and, and move on with their own lives as well so uh, that was a a tough transition too as well as the not having tennis there so in the middle there's obviously the part where your star continues to rise the the academy and your time in Spain goes really well and you become uh, in a position where you've still continue to believe that Wimbledon can happen for you so so can you just talk us through what happens over the next couple of years after that yeah so after living in Spain then um, I also lived in Holland as well and was competing in a league over there so you're playing at European leagues so you're playing against different countries um, sorry different clubs around Europe so that was really great experience at getting match play so that happened through that fourth and fifth year in school and then I suffered um, a shoulder injury uh, unfortunately which had me out for nearly a year and then I was at that stage um, in, in fifth year in school so I was only six 16 at the time where I was like okay am I going to pursue my education um, at, here in school or are we going to homeschool and I'm going to make a career out of this so that was kind of the, the really important vital age to make that decision yeah. um, but I had an injury at the time so we decided okay I'll finish out my, my education here in school and then in sixth year I ended up getting glandular fever and that had me out for five months as well so I had nearly two years there off from the sport and then it was kind of like okay is it too late now and then I made a decision then to to go to college in in Dublin because I'd missed two years of tennis like I thought okay that's it's it's how can I get back to that level and get competing overnight which it just wasn't possible so I went to college and in hindsight maybe that wasn't the right decision in terms of for my playing career and yeah. um, might have been better to to just train maybe for a year or two and then join the tour but listen this is experience what do you think your ceiling was if the injury and glandular fever didn't happen at that stage yeah I think I think I think I'd be in Wimbledon this week if I didn't have an injury. Really? Yeah, yeah, I do fully believe it, yeah. At, 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 so those two years are absolutely the most pivotal points in your career and they're, they're just taken away and it's not even that you're catching up afterwards, you just lose that development entirely, is it? Yeah, like those two years are so important for my game, for com- competition um, and then obviously I, I'm saying I could have been in Wimbledon, who knows what injuries could have happened but with, with the path that my career was progressing I would have been in Wimbledon by now. How, how do you feel when you think about that? 
yeah, it's pretty gut-wrenching. Um, as I said, I had that identity crisis and didn't want to have anything to do with tennis at that time. I hated it. I didn't want to see a tennis racket. I got invited to go to Wimbledon Centre Court. Didn't want to go, didn't go, just just didn't want to be in part of, a part of the game. But I can look back now and see how that was an amazing short-lived career but I had a great experience and, and great success when I did play but I'm looking at some of the girls I competed against and beat and who are playing in Wimbledon this week and you know that's a bit sickening as well Because we have so many conversations around sport in this country where you know you just need to have such a, a volume of tennis players for there to be that one gifted person and it turns out that people maybe aren't aware that the talent was there in the situation and it was actually the injury. It was just a lack of luck as opposed to not having the gem in the system, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you could say that now about the system as well. Like, are there those sure. talented players there, but they're just not getting the chance. Whereas yeah. I had the chance, I had every opportunity there, but unfortunately my body let me down. When, when did you get invited to Centre Court? Uh, in 2018. And what, what was the, the context around that? As in, not why not? I didn't go. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. And and what what was they were inviting you just as a as a as an ex pro yeah, sort of thing to just you know, friends of mine who oh, were sorry, living in right, London. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, had tickets, and they were like, "Do you want to come?" I was like, "Okay." No, I said no. This was just purely recreational, sort of to go along, watch the tennis yeah, for a while. Yeah. You couldn't look at it. No, but I have to say, if there's any Wimbledon tickets going now, <laughs> I will take them. I think yeah, everybody in Team OTB would be the same there. Yeah, join the queue. <laughs> um, that that's remarkable. Because, like, like I don't think. Um, sorry, Shane. Do you want to come in there? No, no, I was just th- just thinking out loud there. I think um, when when Jenny was talking about, you know, falling out of love with the game, like, how did you fall in love in love with the game originally? Like, you think of you know a lot of rock stars in, on the tennis circuit back in the back in the, the era where you were probably growing up. You'd never had Lova and Hingis and uh, women who just tore the sport asunder. I mean, who who, who did you look up to in, in that period as people who were probably key figures in in getting you? Uh, to fall in love with the game in the first place well the love of the game definitely came you know from my mum and my family I think you know growing up with tennis I was it was almost just byproduct that I was involved in it um, and I think as I said that having my brothers was I just wanted to be better than them so that that came from there that love for my, my mum and she was so, she is so passionate about the game but like my idol growing up was Kim Kleisters so not sure if you're she's from Belgium um, and also Serena Williams so they were I know, kind of at the top of the game at that stage and I was looking up to them and thinking okay Serena Williams is who I want to be I want to play like her I want to be like her I want to be strong like her and, and I kind of moulded my game around how she played because I wanted to be like the two of them like even from your own career and, and it kind of ties in nicely to to our preview of Wimbledon as well because uh, a lot of people talking about Serena Williams's his comeback at Eastbourne and, and how well she's looked uh, which is kind of um, I guess intimidating for the, for the other players in that women's uh, circuit in Wimbledon but uh, the player she was she was playing that uh, doubles with Ange Jabeur, this Tunisian who's, who's now up to number three in the world. Um, you have history with this girl. In fact, you you <laughs> you battered her off the court at one stage. Six love, six love. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, myself and Ange played uh, when I was playing Federation Cup for Ireland. She was obviously playing for Tunisia, and we were playing in Egypt. And uh, it was a I think it was one all in the tie, and it came down to this match. And um, we uh, yeah we hammered her love and love. So that is my claim to fame because she's now the number three, uh, number three seed in Wimbledon, and I have her as an outside favourite for Wimbledon. That, that, like that is, it, it's quite an incredible thing. Like if she does go on to win Wimbledon now, you'll be desperately looking for the tapes <laughs> of, of of that match. But like that, like did, did you? 
did you see anything? Like, obviously, if you beat her, love, love. It, it, maybe this is a stupid question, but did you see see anything in her at that point uh, of her career where you thought she could go on and do bigger and better things? No, you see, like at the time, you look back and you think, like as I said to you, like you go to play these matches and everybody looks the same. Everybody is an amazing forehand. Everybody is amazing backhand. It's hard to to tell what's going to be the difference between people. Maybe she just needed to mature. She's a few years younger than I am, so maybe she just needed to mature a little bit more and gain a little bit more experience. And obviously, she's done that very well and she's certainly maximising her career now you know I'm looking at her playing with Serena Williams going that could be me <laughs> that should be me yeah and it's not even a tongue in cheek thing it's like it seriously could be yeah yeah like that's that's what I mean looking at those players I'm like who I've beaten and people I've played against and you're like that is where it really hits you hard is, it, is this still a work in progress trying to come to terms with that does it look that way? <laughs> no, no, I have no, I've accepted it now. No, I've definitely right. accepted it. Yeah, and I, and I can look back positively at the career and the time that I spent and gave to tennis and I have absolutely no regrets really other than maybe making that decision at 16 to 18. But other than that, I have no regrets about what, what went on. Because I guess nobody makes it to the top of the game without being unbelievably obsessed with it like it would be totally understandable if if there was still like this huge sort of not, not a feeling of regret but this this, this feeling of no I guess it is regret a feeling of regret about how the, the whole thing went it would be totally in keeping with the elite athlete's mindset yeah, well I would be lying if I said that I'm not absolutely sickened that I'm not playing in Wimbledon and, and as I said with those girls who are on the same trajectory as me playing alongside them knowing that I'm have beaten them that I could be better than them knowing that I could be playing over there playing representing Ireland representing myself my family everybody you know that is something that still goes through my mind and uh, I just try not to think about it I guess if I'm being honest Uh, obviously the uh, injuries are something that you couldn't really have uh, seen coming but if you could go back and you know try and uh, change things with regards to to the system or to, to the opportunities that you had as a young tennis player what would you change? And I guess that's probably a question about where tennis is at at the moment for, for very talented youngsters in, in this country. I think, yeah, I think um, something that definitely needs to change here is like the attitude towards tennis. So like people actually believing that there is an opportunity that you can become a professional tennis player in Ireland. It doesn't have to be that you have to choose other sports. So like there, are, as you, you mentioned there, there can be these gems, diamonds in the rough who are that talented and who can become professional tennis players. But you want to be able to do it here at home, not have to ship away, you know, move away at 15 and, and be away from your family and all that. So I think there's an attitude um, definitely towards tennis here that needs to change I think it needs to come from the absolute like the, the grassroots level and, and from coaches as well I think um, a lot of coaches in Ireland are and rightly so are out making a living from coaching whereas it's not there are not that many who are able to give all that time to those um, amazing talented players mm-hmm. because you need to obviously be you know accommodating your own life as well um, so I think that the coaches the system here with the coaches like the attitude towards if you see a talented player how do you take them further it's just not really very clearly laid out here what's the answer at the moment if, if you are presented with a very talented player well so I've had a, I have a situation at the moment where um, a kid of, uh, who's attending coaching is he's only nine and he's really talented and I'm going where, where do I what do I do with him now you know I know what he needs but I can't give that to him in terms of I, I don't have the time unless they were you know able to afford to hire you full time and you could go full time with him it's not available here So that nine year old essentially needs a full time coach to be able to achieve his potential At this stage yeah and he needs fitness training and he needs you know he needs a lot of uh, hitting with other players his own age or better players which is not available to him in my current set- set- setup. That's really interesting and, and like are, are his parents and all that 
like very well aware that this is the path that tennis is his thing and this is this is potentially something that Durant are a winner with well yeah he said himself he wants to be a professional tennis right. player it's not often you hear the kids like who really mean that you know that's you with your Wimbledon poster I'm looking as a seven at, year old yeah, I'm meaning me yeah exactly yeah is it okay if we talk about Wimbledon uh, this year? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> or is it too yeah. sore a subject? Where are the tissues here? <laughs> um, Serena's back. How has she looked so far? Yeah, amazing to have Serena Williams back first. So you just have to say that kind of largely came out of the blue there. She announced two weeks ago on social media she was going to enter Wimbledon. Um, she's playing this week, as we know, with Ons Jabor in doubles. Mm. Um, apparently she's not looking too bad but you know her she wasn't serving as well as she can and her serve is a huge weapon for her on grass court and um, I think this is going to be a, a very interesting Wimbledon with her her name in the mix because I think she still has the power and presence of Serena Williams so a lot of the players of the draw will, will lose just based on the fact that she's there playing Serena Williams but it's very hard to see how she's going to really ha- make a dent in the draw when she hasn't played for a year she hasn't played a match since last year in Wimbledon the first round and nobody seems to know what kind of training has been going on but could this be Serena Williams' swan song? Could she go ahead and, and, and have that end that amazing career that she's had and match Margaret Court with the 24 Grand Slams? You'd like to see it but Absolutely. I'm not sure I'm not sure that this is is the is the, 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 the end or the, the, the end for her. It's funny, Jenny. You mentioned the the, the uh, Serena's serve there, and like that's something possibly people have been speaking about from Eastbourne. That uh, and it may seem not seem an obvious thing, but she is serving and returning really, really well. And like the Serena of old, like heading into a major tournament, and again as a coach, maybe with your coach's hat on here as well. How important? Again, it seems obvious, but how important is that uh, having the serving and returning part of your game completely nailed down and uh, you know no rustiness whatsoever? Yeah, that's essential part of the game. Of serve and return are the two most important elements in in the tennis game. So, especially for a player like Williams, who would have won a lot of points off her serve with aces or or un, unreturnable like forced errors off her serve. If she hasn't been playing and she's not matched tight in those tight moments, can she? produce those serves can she get them into the corner where she needs them to be as well as that though you know playing on grass uh, grass is a very fast surface so you need to move very well on a grass court you need to stay very low take the ball very early which suits her game but she has been known for her movement in the past not being the strongest part of her game so if she's been out of the game for a year you know it's going to be hard to see how she's going to be flying around the court as such mm. and and penetrating the ball the way she can do if, if she hasn't if she doesn't have that match tightness and in those moments where she needs the 30, you know the 30 all in the game or the juice points where she needs to produce the big serve or the big return does she have that like it, it was a big moment um like when Serena lost Patrick Moratoglu her coach uh, when he went off to to uh, I guess coach Simona Halep quite recently and, and like 10 years with Serena is quite a long time and you spoke about the importance of of that coach and that coach player um relationship as well like how big is that like, is that like I don't know, it's not like, you know, it's it's almost like the Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi thing. You, you need that person who's so close to you. Like, that must have been quite a quite a big thing for Serena to lose Patrick uh, and probably is why there were so many retirement rumours fueling around over the last month or two. Yeah, I would have felt the same. I would have thought that when, when Mortagli left to go to Halep that that was the end of Serena, but she's back. Um, yeah, the coach-player relationship is essential and paramount to the success of your career, really, because they are the person you turn to um, after matches. They are the first person you call. You know, they're, they're there at every training session. You have that special bond with your coach and they know you 
better than you know yourself do you know and well if you can develop a relationship like that then you're very lucky and I was very lucky to have that with a number of my coaches um, and speaking of that if you look at um, Emma Raducanu and her coach's situation she's looking for a fourth coach now in the last year so I definitely think that's playing into the fact that she's not having the success that we all ex- expect her to just before we wrap, Jenny, can we get a quick prediction on each of the draws, men's and women's? Okay, women's, I'm going to say Iga Shiontek. Okay, yeah, the obvious she'll be one. able to transfer it from Clay, you think? I think with her six title tournament wins in a row, I think definitely okay. she's going to. Ons Jabor is my, my uh, outside favourite. And the please, men's... Please not for Jenny Claffey, <laughs> yeah. so I won't say to mind. <laughs> and then for the men, Djokovic, probably, unfortunately, I think he's going to win this one. But outside favourite, I look at Berrettini of Italy. He just won okay. Queens there last week. Yeah. And Kyrgios is an exciting player to look out for. That'd be great. He's always, always won. He will be featured on this show a day in, day out over the next <laughs> couple of weeks, thanks to Colin Buig, no question about it. Uh, Jenny, that was really interesting stuff. Thanks, Millie, for popping into us this thanks morning. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.